The Pinball Network is online. Launching Pinball Innovators and Makers Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Pinball Podcast focused on the innovators and makers who are crafting homebrew, custom, and retheme pinball machines, the technology that makes these personal projects possible, and the companies helping with these journeys. Custom pinballs are a deeply personal and technically challenging undertaking, requiring time, money, knowledge, and most importantly, the desire to make it happen. I'm Dan Rosenstein, your host. Join me and let's go under the play field and see what's needed to make a custom pinball possible. Hello, pinball innovators and makers. It's episode 16, and this time we have Jamie Boyd, a pinball maker and active community contributor with his machine, Mindcrime. Welcome, Jamie. Why don't you tell us about yourself and how you got started in pinball? <laughs> the least favorite thing uh, on my list is to talk about myself. Yeah, um, uh a long time military, and uh, so I spent uh, the last couple of decades collecting a pin, uh, collecting pinball machines. I, you know, I just like everybody else. I started with one, and they uh, and they multiply, uh, <laughs> and that that kind of um, that kind of moved into the next step of working on them, and then that moved on to the next step of getting proficient and getting somewhat good at it, and working on other people's machines and to the point where I opened up a, 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 a part-time home business, Playfield Restoration, um, started doing uh, a, a lot of different work, kind of all around pinball, um, retired from the military last year. And for a year, it was really my primary focus was to get was to get my custom machine done uh, that I had been working on for several years. But yeah, that's kind of me in a nutshell. Uh, grew, grew up in central Illinois, left for the military. Got into this crazy hot hobby a couple of decades ago, and uh, and I've made uh, uh, an uncountable number of friends, and here I am. Well, it's it's super good to have you on the show. First of all, let me start by saying thank you for your service in the military, um, and and for all your time there. Uh, you said you 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 grew up or from in, in Illinois. Where are you located? What part of the country at this point? Yep, I'm I, I'm down in uh, Pensacola, Florida, on the uh, on the on the beach. It's uh it's uh it's a little bit warm you know i i've been uh i've been all over really uh, loved alaska um the winters are cold i love pensacola the winters are warm and uh you know we can we we have the best food here on the gulf coast kind of the the louisiana cajun flair fresh gulf seafood and um it's really good brain food for making pinball so that's where so i call home so 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 awesome. So let's let's actually parlay into that. Like clearly, you're pinball enthusiast. Clearly, you know you went through the 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 progression as you said. You've been doing this a long time. Um, have you always had the knack? Like, have you always enjoyed mechanical things? Um, I, I don't know what you can talk about your your military service, but did that help you get into pinball? Or like, what what was the genesis for getting into pinball? Yeah, I, your first question. I, I've always I've always liked working with my hands. You know, I grew up with. Um, a screwdriver, a hammer, nails, and a drill, and I just kind of, I just kind of built stuff. And when I when I first left for the military, I was 18 years old in one month, and all I knew was I wanted to get out of Central Illinois. It was a, you know, it was a small town. I had 86 people in my graduating class. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty rural. So you know, I, I always say I grew up in the middle of um, 
cow pastures and, uh, and, <laughs> and cornfields. And, and that's true. But at the same time, you know, I like, I like to go hunting. I like the outdoors. I like what Alaska offered. Um, but I couldn't wait to get out of town. Didn't really want to go to college. I left, you know, I left high school. And I was just like, I just want to do something. So I became an aircraft uh, mechanic. Okay. And I did that for seven years and I left being an aircraft mechanic. I, I was very fortunate. I got picked up to go to flight school. Uh, so I went to officer training school. Congratulations. School. Thank you. I went to, I went to flight school down here with the Navy and um, ended up flying the strike, the F-15 in the, uh, in the air force and uh, never looked back. Like I said, I retired last year and it was, it was a good, it was a rewarding career. I wouldn't say that, you know, a little bit of working on aircraft helped that sort of um, mentality of, you know, building with your hands, but it's just what I knew. Um, growing up, I was in the scouts, you know, I remember doing projects with my dad and um, it's just kind of, it, it, it was my spot where I felt good. And what I mean by that is, and a lot of folks are going to kind of chuckle when they listen, but I, I don't do well with computers and software and sort of that that area of technology. My preferred technology is a bench grinder and, <laughs> and a welding machine. So, yeah, that's how, that, that's how I started. No, I, I did not buy my first pinball machine because I wanted to work on them. I bought my first pinball machine. It was an F-14 Tomcat because when my family vacation, we, we, we had a family vacation when I was growing up in Washington, D.C., and we had a hotel just outside of, you know, the downtown Smithsonian era and the hotel had two pinball machines and I, I probably shoved $300 of quarters, you know, in that machine over that week. So I bought it, you know, quite a few years ago. And that was the one that started my collection. Jamie, my first machine was an F-14 Tomcat. So uh, we are, we are brothers, brother, mother, apparently. I, I think that the F-14 is a lot of people's first games. I think it's a great first game. Anything Anything that Steve Ritchie did, anything, anything system 11 wise, um, is a, is a, is a, is, I mean, to me, that's pinball. That's what, that's what got me into flying. I mean, I just, it was a fast pinball game. It had the good music, kind of the, uh, the good guy versus the bad guy, kind of the top gun theme. And, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I never looked back. Now you, you flew F-15s. Did you, it, when, when in your life did you get that F-14? Were you already in the military or this is before I, when you were younger? I was already in the military. That, so That's amazing. So you were, yeah. you were, you were shooting after General Yagov and then you're yeah. actually flying F-15s. So, 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 so my flight school class was made up of guys, the Navy guys eventually went to F-14s and the Air Force guys eventually went to F-15s. And, and that's what I did. And I knew, I always had that idea in the back of my mind. I know there's a pinball machine out there and I knew it was flying based. I knew it's fighter based, very top gunish. And I, I finally broke down and said, you know what? I'm going to look for this thing. And I found it. It was F-14. It was very obvious that it was the one from, you know, from my memories. I mean, it, was, it came, I mean, it's, it's a late eighties game and I'm sure that's, I'm sure I was playing it with it when it was essentially brand new you know that was the time that top gun came out and um i was actually i was living in pensacola at that time also and i found one up in tennessee for sale and i didn't know a thing about pinball machines i didn't really know what they were worth i i i found it for what i thought was a a correct amount of money and i met this guy halfway my daughter and i drove up halfway to tennessee we met in birmingham alabama and 
transferred this machine from the back of his truck and, you know, to, to, to the, my truck, I got it home. And I mean, I didn't know a thing about pinball machines. I said, you know, I, I asked him, I said, because the spinner wasn't working, you know, it would spin like one time. And I'm like, and I'm talking to the guy on the phone and, and, and you know how it is. You're talking to somebody that has no idea how to work on a pinball machine. It's like, it's like trying to get a monkey to use a football. You, you just, you can't teach a monkey how to throw a football. You just, all you can do is show them. Right. Words don't matter. So he's trying to teach me how to take the lockdown bar off. And yeah, uh, that was a lot of years ago. And, um, you know, I'm pretty humble about it, but I will say that I do pretty well getting around pinball machines now to the point I serve, I service several places here in town. Um, I keep, I keep uh, I keep a nice collection myself that uh, I have a league that plays once a month on my personal collection. And I keep a large collection going at um, one of our local arcades and uh, it's pinball. There's no machine that works hundred percent correct all the time, but um, I, I do what I can for the hobby. That's that, that, that that's amazing. Um, I, I did not know you had an F-14 and I did not know that, that you were a fighter pilot. So I, I think, I think that, 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 that's awesome. Um, so I saw in some of your pictures, um, that in the background of the machine that we're going to talk about in your custom work, you had yeah. like, a, like a Stellar Wars and a Mars God of War. Um, you mentioned System 11. We already talked about the F-14 Tomcat. Um, I'm taking it that you like these, you know, 80s, you know, early 90s m m machines. Or do you, like, do you, what 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 type of machines do you like? I don't want to make that assumption. You know, <laughs> I, I like games that don't break. <laughs> <laughs> um. No, I, I mean, you know, like I said, the eighties is kind of, that's my sweet spot, kind mm -hmm. of the late 80s, the early nineties. That's, that's the music. That's the time that I really remember, you know, the thing, the, the things that I think back on when I was growing up and, you know, going camping, hanging out with friends, chasing girls, whatever it was, that's that portion of school that I really look back. So I'm pretty nostalgic when it comes to that. Mm -hmm. um, no, I will tell you, I mean, my collection uh, the oldest game in my personal collection is a little cheap. So we're talking 1975. Okay. I've got two EMs. You know, I've got a bunch of those 80s and 90s games. And up to, uh, um, let me think, my newest, my newest games would be Guns N' Roses, uh, Jersey Jackson. Jersey. Jackson. So so I, I try to keep the, uh, the, the full gamut of games for the league. Um, for me personally, what, what are my favorites? Man, uh, I couldn't tell you. Tommy is one of my favorite games. Fantastic game. Love, love that game. Yeah, that that game. Uh, I will never have a hard problem, a hard time getting getting uh, getting rid of it because if I want to sell it tomorrow, I've got ten people lined up. Uh, it's just one of those games. Do you, do you have the mirror ball topper? Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and when I bought Tommy, I had no idea that that was even like possible to not have with the game. I just bought the game and I had it. With it. So and, yeah, it's, and, it's the original one. And do your flipper visors work? Oh, yes. Yeah, good. good. Yeah. Uh, I don't have a game that I let people play that does not work correctly. It's just, it's just sort of my, um, if you're going to, if you're going to have friends over and if you're going to hold a league, to me, the game ought to rep represent itself and play, yeah. play like it should. And if it doesn't, I pull the plug and uh, I say, come back to me next month. That's awesome. So let's, let, let's get into the, the, the tail, you know, the, the more recent part of your, of your pinball journey. Um, you know, we're here to talk about pinball innovators and makers. You're a pinball maker. Um, and you've got a custom machine, which is Minecrime. 
Okay. So why don't we start, you know, kind of at the beginning, beginning of your journey, but also the beginning of the theme. Um, you know, tell tell us about mind crime. Tell the listener um who might not know about mind crime what it is, uh, and how you chose the theme. Yeah, uh, to a lot of people, mind crime is a very um, it would be an obscure theme, and a lot of a lot of folks that see it. So I just had it up at Southern Fried. I say up at Southern Fried for a lot of folks that's down or over, but um, yeah, up in Atlanta. Uh, that was at the end of July. And that was kind of my big goal for this year was to get into Southern Fried Gaming Expo. And I mean, there's there's hundreds of people there. I got lots of play, um, somewhere around 300 plays, I think. Awesome. And there were a lot of folks that assumed that it was a custom game and a custom theme with, you know, that wasn't attached to an IP or a license or anything. Um, there's a lot of folks that knew that that knew what it was right away as soon as they saw it. Um, and then there's a lot of folks that have followed the project over the years. So, so let me now back up just a little bit and I'll kind of, I'll kind of tell you how I got into it. Um, I was in Alaska. It would have been 20, it would have been 2015. And I, I was really into the hobby. I knew I liked working on games and somehow I came across Mark's, um, Nightmare, uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. And I got to talking to him and building a custom pinball machine was, was a foreign language at that time to me. I was talking to him. I was inspired by his game. His game's really interesting. Um, there's lots of diverters and there's lots of ways that this, the same piece of real estate on the game can have different outcomes of where the ball, what happens with the ball. And that's what I really like is it's 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 a simple it's a simple game, but at the same time it's complicated because it has a lot of different potential outcomes, and that was immediately um, attractive to me. So you know I did a lot of talking to Mark, and I spent the better part of a couple of cold winters in Alaska when there's really not a when, when I say not a whole lot of sunlight, essentially no sunlight for you know a couple of months. Um, in my split level house down in the basement, thinking about custom pinball and, and how I would do it. And I, uh, I, I pull out some of the papers and I, I actually have a picture of it in my, in my time-lapse video, but mm -hmm. it's, just, it's just a bunch of papers that have notes all over it. And it's, you know, it's 10 or 12 sheets of handwritten notes, scribbles, drawings. And I call it, I call it the anatomy of mind crime or the anatomy of a custom pinball machine because it's really it's it's the biological matter that started it for me. Um, did not have a theme. I, I I had a lot of ideas. I knew what I liked. I knew what I I, I knew what I wanted to try and fit on it. Um, I was kind of back and forth. Do I want it to be a standard wide uh, sta standard body? Do I want it to be a wide body? I knew there was going to be quite a bit. It was going to be pretty complicated, and um, it it took a little while to kind of put all those thoughts together and um one night i'm sure it was i'm sure it was a little bit later in the evening and you know i like to drink uh brown rye based cocktails <laughs> and um i have a i've got an old Morantz uh receiver and a pair of scalas that <laughs> i spin vinyl up on and one of my favorite albums was Turning that night, Operation Mind Crime by Queensryche. It came out in the late 80s. Concept album. It tells a story from the start to end. It's a little bit of a dark story. I won't get a whole lot into it, but essentially it's 
a, a crazy or an evil doctor known as Dr. X, and he manipulates his subject, Nikki, who is a, a post-puberty but still young male adult, and he's struggling in life, and he doesn't know where to fit in, and he uh, he gets under this manipulation and control of the doctor who's feeding him some good drugs and gets him hooked up with an ex-prostitute-turned-nun um, named Mary. Um, <laughs> and basically, they go out and do all his dirty work for him, which is essentially killing politicians. And it's a really it's a really dark, gritty theme. And it probably sounds really weird to a lot of your listeners. Why does this make a good pinball machine? And um, I'm not going to say it makes a good pinball machine. I'm going to I'm going to say I think it makes a good pinball machine. The, the, the music is the right speed. It's the right it's the right atmosphere for pinball. Um, I'll try to gently say I'll, I'll say this as gently as I can on the pinball enthusiasts or any of the multitude of different pinball pages that we follow, we're always seeing, you know, suggestions of well, we should, they should, they should make this pinball and they should make that pinball. And one of the, uh, one of the suggestions that comes up at least three times a month is pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. And I think that a really brilliant person and company could possibly do Great work with the theme Pink Floyd, but to me the music's just a little bit slow for pinball. Way too slow. Operation Mindcrime, it just has that 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 northwest Seattle grunge progressive rock heavy heavy beat opera approach that Jeff Tate does or did with his band Queensrack. And it's melodic. It's 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 musically the entire band is very, very talented. Um I I, I loved it. From, from the late 80s when that album came out. I, I've listened to that album for my entire life. I know it inside and out. Um, if you if, if you Google it, it typically comes up in the top five, if not the top three um, best rock concept albums of all time. And it's just it's just a little obscure. And I, I wanted to make my pinball machine, I wanted to make it about the story and not about the band. So the word, the word Queensryche does not live anywhere on the machine not in the artwork mm-hmm. not in any not in any of the uh, theme integration the uh, the screen or anything um and to to separate it just a little bit more from the band down to the storyline i just opted to call it mind crime and, and very similar actually to tommy rather than it being the who and very similar, in fact, to what they did with Foo Fighters, to to Stern's credit, where it's a story about the Foo Fighters, not about a, you know about a band of Foo Fighters, not the band, the Foo Fighters. Yeah, I never put that together with Tommy, but you're absolutely right. It's it's a it's an abstract name that gets the point across, and those who know still know. So um, yeah, that's how it came to be. Um, that's how I sort of started in my journey and that was the original part of the development of what I call theme you know theme integration how what 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 do I want the theme to be what do I want the parts of the pinball machine to be and and then how do I start putting all that together and it wasn't until um it wasn't until uh two or three laters that I I even had a piece of plywood to start to start putting holes in so I, I want to interject there. Um, I was, you know, doing my due diligence. You sent me some material. I was looking at Strictly Custom Pinball's uh, Jake Danzig's group that he runs on Facebook. 
And um, I noticed posts going back to 2017. I think I even saw one in 2016, but I'm not sure. It for sure was in 2017 I saw you posting. And the cool thing was you were asking questions, but you were also answering other people's and giving them perspective and opinion. So kind of like as your journey was going, you were helping others along their journey and vice versa. Um, But I also saw a very methodical um, you know, release an approach to, you know, when, when you did your, your initial shot maps, when you had a layout, when you had, had a white wood. So, um, you know, the, the, I'm seeing that in, in a, you know, in a few minutes of, of, of consecutive items on a feed based on a search. But why don't you talk now about, you know, where, where you were going with that? So you started to have a theme. You started to have some, some shots. How did you start bringing it together? Talk about your design progression. So. Everybody does this differently. And that's the, I think that's, that's the beauty of the hobby. And not, not only that, but that's also, that also kind of wrap that, 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 that makes your point that you brought up. You know, I was answering other people's questions. And, and the reason why is I, I started with the original theme and my ideas and all that on paper. But as far as building the actual machine, I started um, with the piece of plywood. A lot of folks will start in uh, some type of, uh, virtual platform where they're where they're building the machine virtually and they spend you know a whole lot of time whether that's a year or two years or three years or whatever they're they're building it virtually and then they're like well i don't you know we as humans we kind of procrastinate on what we're not comfortable with right i procrastinated on software and code other folks might procrastinate on um getting a piece of plywood out and um, putting some holes in it and, and, and screwing parts together and bending and grinding metal. Um, so I've always, I, I, I've received a lot from the strictly custom community. Um, and, you know, I, I, I try to make a lot of folks out there have made me smarter and I try to take every opportunity where I can to make other folks smarter, because if we don't, if we don't help each other out, it's just, it, uh, it's, it's, this is almost an impossible task. Yeah. Um, I, I, I cannot do this alone. I, I, I probably couldn't take a team of two or three people and do it together. It takes, it takes the knowledge of a lot of folks. So that's, um, that's, you know, that's both me taking from the community and, uh, and giving back. Yes. So you bring up 2016, 2015 is when I started really getting the early ideas. I got into the group somewhere around 2016. So the Christmas, so I'm, now I'm talking about the end of 2016 is when I, I ordered my kit from from Aaron and his team at Fast Pinball um, on advice from Mark. At, you know, because he built the uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas. Yep, yep. And uh, I, that was the most fantastic advice I could have ever followed because uh, that community um, is it's top notch. It is it is. It's a lot of what is on the Strictly Custom page that Jake does on Facebook, but this is a focused group and essentially everybody in there is working or has been working or did work on a pinball machine. And um, the the level of assistance and help and idea sharing um, and friendly banter. I mean, I think half of what I participate in on a daily basis is just hanging out with a bunch of friends that... Um, so the majority of them I've never met in my life, but I mean, I have a, I, I have a relationship with, you know, whatever it is, 30, 40 people that are essentially on there every day. And it's, it's a portion of my social life. 
So, yep, ordered those fast boards. The holidays of 2016, and I was punching uh, holes in plywood early uh, early 17. That that's awesome. Um, and and the the initial plywood that you did where you were punching holes. I mean, you're you're literally drilling holes. You're using hand tools. Like it's all it's all you know it's it, it it's all hand tools at that point, right? My prototype playfield was a five ply layer of plywood that I got from you know Home Depot or Lowe's. I don't remember. I mean, there was nothing special about it. It was cut to the right size, 20 inches wide, 46 inches long. I, I I made a jig to be able to do the elevation change so that I could get the shooter lane cut into it. But yeah, it was just a handmade jig to get that done. Um, and yeah, I mean, a, a hand drill, a couple of different routers. Um, the best thing maybe about making a pinball machine is it gives you a lot of excuses to go out and buy stuff that you don't already have <laughs> tool-wise. Um, and you know, that goes for some software program wise also. And, uh, so you can fill up your, um, tool chest with stuff that you might not have otherwise ever bought or to be honest, ever used, you know, I mean, I'm, I, I like YouTube videos just as much for, for learning how to do things like that as the, as the next person. So, um, how did you get to, you know, you, you had the white wood that you were, you were, you were, you were doing by hand, as you mentioned, um, how did you lay out your shots and your shot map? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a long process of trial and error. Um, I wanted a machine that flowed well. I wanted a machine where the ball essentially never stops moving. Steve Ritchie's showing up in your in your design philosophy. Yes. That being said, I wanted to have a you know I wanted to have diverters that would divert the ball from the flow shots to very specific ball holds for specific reasons. Um, and you know it's you know one of our sayings in the in the fast pinball group is iterate 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 because you're you're. You're 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 not gonna you're not gonna be able to figure it out until you do it, and you're not gonna be able to 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 really get to your end goal until you've essentially done everything, you've tried everything. So, yeah, I, I if there was if there was video, the best way for me to sum this up is to show you my prototype playfield. It's a it's a single piece of plywood, and it has been drilled, cut, glued, wood puttied, re-drilled, recut. Re-wood puttied. I mean, there is probably more JB Weld wood putty on that <laughs> piece of on that piece of wood than there is actually wood. Um, and, and and if you do it, if you if you do it right and you're meticulous, you'll you can get that plywood back to essentially new. And um, you know, I would draw my lines. I like sharpies. I like sharpies because they don't erase. And so you put your lines. And I'm a I'm very um I'm very mathematical oriented. So it's easy to kind of put some geometry down and take some measurements and figure out my angles. And, um, you know, one of the things that people don't think about is, is a shot, is a shot easy? Is it, is a shot medium kind of, or is it shot hard to make? And, you know, it's a, it's a complicated answer. Um, the Tommy ramp, the Tommy ramp is all the way at the top and it's, you know, it's just over two inches wide. And I find that, I find that ramp very, very easy to make because it's, it's right in the throat of the flipper. And it's, a, you know, it's, it's just over two inches wide. Mm -hmm. um, and, but that doesn't necessarily translate when you haven't actually built the machine. So then you, then you go out and you hand build a ramp and you're, it's, you're making it out of probably some kind of 
steel eventually. A lot of folks start with cardboard and foam and all that stuff. I started out with metal because that's what I wanted. And a ball does not travel on foam core or cardboard or anything else like it does. So, I mean, I just, I I just got the, you know, I just went out and got the parts cut, ground, welded and and, uh, started. I I knew exactly, I knew approximately where I wanted to start. Did you, you, you've talked about being handy and, you know, being good with tools. Did you have metal work experience as well at this point? Or did you pick that up as you were building the pinball machine? Yeah. Metal working was, I mean, to answer your question, I never did anything formally before school. I mean, I just built stuff. Um, During when I was in the, uh, when I was in the military, we had machinists that did our metal work. So I didn't have to really do that. I saw a lot of stuff, a lot of that kind of stuff done. Um, you know, working on jets, I was I was a flight line crew chief, and for for the for the average person out there, what that really means is you're the guy that changes tires and puts puts fuel on the airplane, does a does an inspection before it takes off and then after it lands. And I'm not trying to diminish that. I'm just saying that uh, it's kind of more of a a, a, a general aircraft maintenance job versus the guy that's in the back shop. And all he does is bend, cut, drill metal all day long. And we have, and, and, and there's experts at that because they use the expensive stuff like titanium mm-hmm. and even, even way more complicated stuff now with, um, you know, a lot of the stealthier aircraft out there, but uh, no, to answer your question, I typically, I'm a visionary. If, if I can, uh, if I can envision a piece of metal or a piece of wood or a piece of plastic, I'm going to figure out a way to get it from its current state to where it is. Might not be the best way to do it, but um, at the end of the day, I, I, I can pretty much get to where I want to be. Um, that, that, one the- that's A, inspiring, and B, you are very lucky that you have that skill or that 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 ability because there's not many people that can – envision something and then geometrically figure out the the bends and the you know the the, the cuts and etc to make it so i i definitely admire the fact that you're able to do that yeah you you just do a little bit and you learn and then you then you you retain what you learn there for the next time and it was pretty easy for me to go from making one frame for a for one of the playfield mechs into making five or six of them because kind of once you learn what works and doesn't try now trust me i broke a bandsaw blade or two i mean when you're <laughs> when you're cutting stainless steel with a bandsaw you're you it takes a little tweaking to get it just right and um you know a lot of the what <laughs> one of the discussions we had one day was whether or not to use um lubricant when you're cutting and i i just I've never used lubricant when cutting with a bandsaw. I just, I've never had a problem with it heating up. I've never had a problem with it, you know, um, binding other than, you know, one saw blade that just ended up not being the right saw blade. But once you, once you get the right tool, um, I just kind of stick with what I know. And it's only because it's what I know and it's what I have experience with. So it's uh, not, not that anybody else's process is wrong. It's just, I'm comfortable with my experience. We 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 all do it different ways, and that's what that's what that's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast is learning the the ways that that the different people do it. So, um, you there came a point where I believe did you get do a digital version of the shot layout once and the 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 play field once you had it had it dialed in. 
Do you mean digital as in like a virtual software VPX or something like that? Um, so, so, what so, do you mean no, uh, what I meant is like a CAD model because you eventually got a routed version yeah. of the play field. Yeah. So the bane of my existence is CAD. <laughs> it is my kryptonite. Uh, it just makes me weak. And I, I buckled down and I learned how to use Fusion 360. Um, very basically, I used it in a in a two D in a two D environment. And you know, I, if some of the folks from the Fast Group were here, they'd probably cringe because they can remember all the uh, four letter uh, words that I was spreading around when I was doing that. It 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 was just a frustrating process. I literally. Woke up every day feeling like I was banging my head against the wall trying to get that to do that. Um, and so, yeah, I would, I'd go out to my play field. I, first of all, I had my play field finalized. I knew exactly where everything went. And I used um, I used a micrometer. And then I also used a, a steel ruler that had a 164th inches um, measured out on it. And... I used those to square or rectangle up every single point on the play field, made my lines, made all my holes or all my, a lot, a lot, a lot of the stuff actually on fusion 360 were marks, just kind of reference marks for lining stuff up. Um, I'll tell you, I did, I, I, I did not do a single insert on my prototype play field. I, it doesn't take any more effort for me to draw a circle on the play field with a Sharpie with a little note of what the circle represents rather than drill the hole, wrap the hole, glue the insert in and do all the work a hundred times to do all hundred inserts. I, to me, I, I can just kind of envision that. Yeah. And I don't want to spend all that time to put all those inserts in when it, when to me, it doesn't matter. Now there's other folks that have done many, many, many prototypes or Whitewoods and they've put, in, you know, they put inserts and in, iterations of inserts in three or four different whitewoods to get it right. And it, it's just how different different minds process things and envision things a little bit differently. So um, I would rather spend all that time trying to learn a stupid computer program like Fusion <laughs> and cut, cutting and routing the insert holes. Got my got my play field uh, finalized in Fusion 360. And I, and my, I was lucky enough that I have a very good friend that has a CNC router and we transferred my fusion file into his, his CNC software, which is Vectric. And he, he, he and I basically laid out all those tool paths and the tool cut depths and voila, I've got, uh, I've got an awful nice looking play field. Yeah, and 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 I will note that looking through the pictures, um, I think it was on Strictly Customs where I saw this one, but it might have been in the in the in the stuff you sent as well. Um, I will I will you know I'll give you a compliment here. Whatever hardship you may have had in getting to it, the final printout of the of the shot layout that came from CAD looks professional, man. Like you should take some pride in that. Like that is a by itself, just you know, black lines on a white white piece of paper is is definitely a work of art. At the end of the day, I think that if I if I set my mind to something, I can do it. It's just how much how much horsepower and how much frustration am I willing to put up for that? So yes, I was super happy with the final product. I was super happy the last time I got to close Fus the Fusion 360 app on my computer. 
And now, hint, we're getting ready to do it again. So, Jamie, I know, you know, being a maker, being a creator, going from a plan that the router goes and, and operates and, and actually cuts to actually feeling that white wood. Why don't you talk about the way you felt when you held that that cut white white wood from the routed plan and then what your next steps look like? So I think my first um I think my first expression was it it was really it kind of wowed me. I was it it looked better than I could have expected. Um part of that is uh perspective. So my perspective up until then was a ratty old um prototype play field that had been filled and painted over a million times. And this was a you know a nice piece of nine ply Baltic birch that, I mean, it, it looked perfect. So yeah, it felt great. And I, I, I put it in the back of my truck in the, in the backseat of my truck so gently with a, uh, with a furniture moving blanket over the top, just because I didn't want it to get scratched, which is kind of silly because <laughs> it's gonna It's a play field. It's going to get scratched, but yeah, I got it home. Um, I put side rails on it, just to keep it from any kind of excess warping and, I started putting inserts in it. I, I knew my insert layout and, you know, everybody does inserts a little bit differently. I, I do a, I do a clamp and clear epoxy for 12 hours. Um, and so because of that, I use, a, it, it's about a, it's just a little bit larger than a credit card size rubber block. And so you're, you're able to do two, maybe three inserts at a time per clamp and, you know, I've got four clamps, so at the best, I'm getting a dozen inserts. So it takes, you know, it takes a good week to get all those uh, to get all those inserts in. And then I had that white wood at, at that at that um, in that existence with it clear coated. Play, play the, the the white wood, the inserts, and a good coat of clear coat on it um, for quite a while. And I, I that's when I started building out um, a lot of the mechs because. Up until on the prototype, I used a lot of prototype mechs. And then I was starting to build the the final mechs um, onto that now Whitewood, which ended up becoming the final playfield. Oh, really? Okay. Um, so so wait, it, it's that same Whitewood that's the final playfield, or you had another what what you had a third one that ended up becoming the yeah. So 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 I've got three playfields. Okay. I've got my original prototype that has a million holes in it, JB Weld Putty. I did a what turned out to be a test cut um, final play field, which is it's in whitewood form. It's never it's never had inserts put in it. It's never been painted or clear coated. But um, we we did that as a test. So we used we used the real wood that we were going to route, uh, being the, the Baltic nine ply. Um, but because it was. It was it was pretty complicated. It's got it's got a lot of it's it's got a lot of inserts in it. Um, it's got some it's got some complicated um, cut patterns to it, and we 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 knew going in that it was going to be next to impossible just to get it right the first time, just because there's so many places where you could make a mistake. Right, right. Um, so so sure enough, we were you know it was the oval for. Uh, my drop bank. I got a three. I got a three bank of drop targets, and the oval that we cut out for that 
we put the uh, the tool path on the outside of the line rather than on the inside of the line. So so the the, the net result is a hole that's much bigger than it should be. Um, and there was a couple other tweaks. Uh, did, we, we had cut about a 12 inch by 12 inch piece just to verify that all the insert sizes, and we did a little bit of tweaking on that. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I've got three play fields. I've got the play field that's in the machine, the final. I've got the the test, um, the test final, sort of a middle whitewood, and I've got the prototype, which I say it's a prototype. That prototype probably served about fifteen different prototypes. <laughs> you um, you, you said something uh, that I want to make sure that the listener catches, which is a really good advice. The fact that you use like a twelve by twelve piece and use that to kind of size up your inserts and make sure that the in like as a as a test to make sure that the inserts would fit once it was cut. That's a really smart idea, and I haven't heard anybody else mention that. So thank thank you for letting the listener and myself know. Yeah, uh, you know, for that. Wood changes size over time. Um, inserts, it's a piece of plastic. I mean, there there is a little bit of there's a little bit of expansion and contraction there. Probably not enough for you to really notice, but yeah, anytime you're gonna you're, you're gonna go and design something in CAD, cut it out on a piece of wood, and then put a piece of plastic in. There's there's some room for error there, and some people like the inserts to fit a little bit tighter. Some of them just a little bit looser. You know, everybody's got to kind of they kind of have their preference. And I was able to use that piece of wood. And I mean, the adjustments that I made were 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 so small that I'm not sure that a lot of a lot of folks would have even made an adjustment. Mm. I'm I'm a little bit I, I'm I'm a perfectionist. That's why it's taken seven years to build this the game. But I've got I've got a saying, and the and the fast guys know it. But it's um, you know, why do something if I can overdo it? And that's, <laughs> that's kind of my approach to building this game. So um, let, let's actually talk about that. You, you you start to talk about Vex, and you've mentioned the diverted ramps um, and and uh, metal work that you had done before. And I saw some good videos of of your diverters; they looked pretty awesome. I also saw this like what you called the Beast Double Trough, and like you had other mechanisms that were that were like crazy. But I mean that in like a awesomely complex yet awesomely cool way. So where did you get the ideas for these and how did they come about what is the beast double trough for for that matter yeah so so the where where the ideas came from is simple i knew where i wanted the holes i knew where i wanted the ball to come from and go to and i know and i knew what mechanics i needed as far as drop targets up down posts um and subways and those had to be in place at, at those had to be in their place um, without, without compensating and without changing anything. Not because I had a play field that was already cut, but because that's how the game needed to flow to be right. So if you look at the North end of my play field, the, the under, underneath of the game on the North end of the play field, it's, it is very, very busy. There's probably more mechanics and you know th- those couple of square feet than 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 your not even your average pinball machine. Probably, I only know of a couple games that can even come close to the uh, how compressed that space is. And you and you kind of hit the nail on the head. What that what that caused was I then had to take all those mechs that I had bought, whether it's Pinball Life, Marco, or eBay, or wherever I sourced them, and I had to. A lot of the frames are modified. They're 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 you know if if you take a little bit of metal off here, you've got to beef it up and you got to strengthen it over here. And 
Um, so, so how I did it, it's, I, I hate to cut it short and to say it this sort of curt, but I just did it. <laughs> you just, you, I, I, you just find a way. You don't, you, over, know? you don't overthink it. You just do it. You, you just, you just do it. Um, I, the, the double trough or the double, the double subway, whatever you want to call it. It's so, so it's a, it's a subway that has three different entrances. And those three different entrances all are within uh, about about two credit cards. So what is that? Let's call it a five by five piece of the play field, maybe five by six inch. And there's so there's three different holes where the play field can go from the top of the play field down through. And I wanted the outcome to all be the same. I just wanted how you got there um, to be different. So it is a it's a beast of a trough. What makes it such a beast is that it's very tight. All the turns are pretty tight. Uh, I will tell you the ball has no problem feeding from any of those holes. Um, it's, it's, you know, I, 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 I'm not an engineer. I mean, I barely, you know, I, I didn't even really pay attention a whole lot in science class. <laughs> Math was kind of my, more my thing, but here's what I know is when you put six and a half or seven degrees of incline on a play field, gravity is going to take over. So if you have your troughs oriented correctly and you build your subways right, gravity is going to take over and that ball is going to end up where you want. And so, yes, the underside of my play field, um, sort of from the from the equator, the, the, the midpoint up towards the north end is excruciatingly busy and difficult to work on. Yeah, um, you, you know, the, the tagline for this podcast is is let's go under the play field. And it's under the play field in your machine where where a lot of the magic actually happens. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm really glad you talked about like that, that point about you knew where you wanted the ball to go and you knew where you wanted it to come from, or I should say come from and go. Um, and you just did it to, to, to make that work. I like, I don't think you were being curt at all. I think that's actually a fantastic approach because you, if you do overthink it, if you do try to engineer it, you're going to come up with things that are, are going to be way too complex and aren't going to work. So, um, I noticed, so, so we, 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 you know, we've, we've talked about the, 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 the shot layout, the white wood, how you progress through that. Um, you mentioned that you're using the fast control system and have been for a while, um, you know, I noticed that there's a lot of things that you've gone above and beyond to make this this machine special and stand out. Um, you know, I'm going to just offer a couple of them and you talk about how, them however you want. You've got ceramic coating on parts. You've got color changing paint. You went and created custom PCBs for LEDs. You, you know, you sent parts off to send, cut, send. So you clearly, you know, started to to leverage the ability for others to, to manufacture things. And even some of your plastic pieces, you know, you had given shout outs to other folks for, um, I think, I think it was Lonnie, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, it was. Um, So, you know, why don't you talk about like how, how you iterated on the fit and finish and ultimately how did you start soliciting others to, to help you make the machine that much better? Yeah. So this is actually my favorite part of the project. Um, you know, I already mentioned it, but this is this, really Mind Prime is a beast of quite a few people. There are um, no less than a dozen people that have helped me because of a specialty that they have. Um, whether it's welding stainless steel, stainless steel is not easy to weld. Um, 
And there's a few different ways to do it. I brazed some of it. I welded some of it. I had other folks help me weld some of it. Um, and that was always, that was always something that I needed to at least be a part of because I don't want to send parts off with instructions on how to weld because the majority of the things I'm welding are, are things that are kind of fit to task. So I have a hole in the play field or, or I'm building a wire form with a ramp and I need to be able to weld one little bit of it, fit it, and then, and then bend it um, to be able to ensure that the angles are right, that it flows well. Wire forms are a pain in the butt to make. Stainless steel wire forms multiply that by about 10 because it just, it doesn't bend very well. It doesn't weld very well. So um, yeah, so that's, you know, that's a little bit of the welding. I already mentioned the CNC, a uh, good friend of mine I used to fly with. He's got this commercial machine out his back shed and uh, he makes all kinds of stuff. So he has, he's got a lot of that background and he was able to, um, he was able to help me a lot um, along the way. Yep. You mentioned Send Cut Send, uh, fantastic company. You send them a file and I mean, their turnaround time is, you know, typically less than a week. And I mean, the work that they do is cheap. Um, that, that subway, it, it doesn't look super complicated when you look at it, but you know, there's, there's six different pieces of metal on that subway. And um, in order to get it to fit between everything else, um, I mean, there, there, there's some areas where, I mean, it's, it's less than a 16th of an inch clearance. So, I mean, it's, 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 you got to take your time when you're, when, when, when you're laying that out just to make sure that your measurements and everything right. And um, I'd be lying if I said I didn't do any grinding on that thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, a friend of mine from the fast group, Brian, he, uh, he, he, he's done a lot of work with custom pinball and he, he helped out with the, uh, the custom light board PCBs and um, he, he, you know, I gave him all the measurements and the design and everything, and he laid those things out in CAD and got them made for me. I'm, and it's that's one of the skills I'm actually getting get ready to work on, uh, most likely in Fusion, because uh, I've got some areas that I want to replace the individual LEDs on the game and, and put some light boards in place of it, just because there's so many lights and each single light has a connector and Every time you have a connector on a piece like that, it's, it's a fail point. And you yep. move a game to a show or or whatever, or the humidity is high that day, and it's, it's, just, it's, it's a fail point. So that's one of the weaker areas in my game is just the number of connectors on lights. So some PCBs are going to help with that. Um, uh, so there's also another cast of characters that, that haven't been brought up yet that I'll just mention real quick sort of with that distributed teams and folks that have helped along the way. Um, uh, Rika Hauserman, she's a local comic book artist, um, big into cosplay. Um, she was recommended to me by a mutual friend here in town, another pinball nut. Uh, why don't you, Rika, why don't you reach out to Rika? Um, Cause I needed an artist and I was not going to, I'm not a Photoshopper. I'm not creative enough to do the artwork. Uh, I reached out to her. Let me think about this. Uh, probably close to four years ago now. And she and I spent a lot of time on Skype discussing and coming up with the artwork. And I mean, it, it was, it was more than a two year long process, but yeah, wow. every, 
And, and she and I had never met. So she lives about an hour, hour and a half from me. And we, and we had actually never met. We worked for a little over two, uh, two years. And she, I mean, she, she's an absolute rock star when it comes to taking a concept Digging in on the concept and mind crime was nothing. Queens Reich and Operation Mind Crime had uh, she had no clue what I was talking about when I first talked <laughs> to her. She did her homework. I sent her all the links. She watched the video. She read the lyrics. She listened to the music. She she understands that creative, the art side of that, and was able to help me translate that into um, a Photoshop file that looked fantastic. Um, so yeah, we finally got to meet. About this time last year, after I got the artwork uh, printed, uh, sent that down to Lonnie, a uh, friend of mine down in Ocala, Florida. Yep, he printed it out. Fantastic job. Um, if you if, if, if you want a play field, uh, if you want some art put on a play field, have Lonnie do it. Lonnie's uh, amazing. He, he does it right. Uh, he's super helpful. He knows what he's doing, and he's been around the community for a long, long time. And he's just a nice guy. Yeah, he he's outstanding. Another person I've spent a lot of time on Skype or FaceTime with, and trying to trying to mind meld so that we can get to that final product. And he sent me that playfield back. I clear coded it with uh, with Rika's artwork on it. And last summer, um, we got together and signed the playfield um, and put an put an apron over where the signatures go because it's a it's it's a true one of a kind. Um. And some other folks along the way that I'd like to just mention real quick, if I can, yeah. um, Jack Canavan, uh, he's a local guy. He's a, he's a media guy. He works for local channel three. He's a photographer and he's kind of also got that art slash creativity Photoshop um, trait. Uh, good friend of mine. He spent way too much of his free time on his computer, but he helped me with um, the display. So the display is a, uh, uh, about a 24 inch LCD, um, trying to convert the theme of mind crime into a pinball display and get all the different parts of the theme sort of mixed in with what's important with the, with the game and the layout and how do you progress and how do you get more points and um, super happy with how that turned out um, both the kind of the primary background and then all the banners that pop up and, and, and then the uh, animations that pop up as you, as you make your uh, different achievements. Excuse me. Bless you. The, the sound, um, the sound is also done by another friend of mine, a local friend, Josh Jacobs. He, uh, he's done some pin, some, some, some pin, uh, some, sorry, some podcasts in the past. And he knows, he knows audio and he knows how to listen to stuff. He kind of knows how to parse those different parts out, how to edit things, how to slow things down, speed them up. So he was able to take the music and build some nice musical loops that would loop continuously. And it doesn't sound like it's a loop. So, so, so the main sound, the main audio music track of mind crime is sort of, is basically the intro music from the album. And he was able to take that and make it into a continuous loop. And then the software actually just keeps looping it. And then when that needs to change, when you get into, when you get into the different modes, um, it does bring up those, those every mode on Minecraft is, is a song. So all 15 songs from the album are captured into one of the primary game modes. So, so yeah, you'll, you'll transition from that, from that basic background music 
into the song, you'll play that mode, and then it transitions back to that uh, to that looping music. And he also did all the male callouts, and um, he has a voice, and the the amount of emphasis and the style that he recorded that in, it is just cutting, and it's perfect for a pin uh, for a pinball callout. When when it's time to hit the left ramp. And he tells you to hit the left ramp. There is no question in your mind what you need to be doing next. <laughs> and so, so he had the perfect voice for that. Um, and he is he is outsourcing um, somebody to do the voice of Mary for me, and that will provide a lot of the female callouts. Um, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I didn't go into detail, but Minecraft Operation Minecraft, the just the recording itself, the studio album has so many things that very loosely directly relate to pinball um in the very beginning before the music starts there's sort of this intro and it's a it's a nurse in a hospital and she's she's tending to the patient and 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 part of that she says in kind of a kind of a snarky british voice perhaps you need another shot and that translates perfectly into your ball save your ball <laughs> your ball drains she knows that she knows that you did not play long enough. So perhaps <laughs> you need another shot. Um, and she's got, she's got quite a few of those really nice lines that are just perfect in a uh, perfect in a pinball machine. She, during the same conversation with the patient, she says, you bastard. And to me, that's a perfect tilt warning. Yeah. Call. Out. Um, uh, so th there's, there's quite a few of those that come straight from the album. And then he's also going to do sort of some of the general pinballs. Hey, you know, um, you know, shoot the right ramp or you know, shoot for the pops or shoot the left orbit. Um, all those, all those small things that you don't really think about, but as, as somebody that has no idea how to play a machine um, and they walk up to the game and it's one of 400 pinball machines in a show, that person may only play two or three balls on your game. And if you can make it easy for them to understand what they need to do next, to me, that's their key to enjoyment. And yeah. at, you know, at Southern fried, my enjoyment was when I watched people play the game and their game ends. And one of my favorite call outs from the album comes on after your game's over. And it says in the real grovelly doctor voice, you can't walk away now. <laughs> and that player just immediately hits the start button because they're ready. <laughs> they're ready to play again. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. Was Southern Fried Gaming Expo the first time you had taken the machine to a show? Yep, that was the uh, that was the debut, and That's it went. It, it did not go perfectly, but it went well. It went. It went much better than I anticipated. That that that's amazing. And we're recording just a, a month, month and a half after after that show. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so you know, I want to. Uh, there's, there's a, a journey that I want to. I want to go back to. You know, you said that you're not not a computer person. We already talked about CAD and you know how how you learned Fusion 360. Um, in turn, you know, you, you talked about the modes of the game and you started talking about the sound. All of that is, and and also the 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 computer screen and the, how that's driven. All that's driven by software. So, how did you end up doing the rules and the programming? How did you get over that? You know that that hump of of you not knowing how to do that. So that is where my secret weapon comes in. Um, within the fast community, 
uh, I, I did a lot of converse. I had a lot of conversations with, uh, one of the folks in there, Gavin, Gavin guest. And, um, he had, he, he had kind of semi committed to me three or four years ago. Hey, when you get, when you get ready, he's cause he knew I struggled with software and code. And he said, when you get ready, he said, I'll help, I'll help you get through your code. Don't worry about it. Cause I was really procrastinating to the point where I wouldn't say I almost quit on the game, but like I put it away for months at a time. And cause it just was something that really, I wouldn't say it scared me. It's just, that I just didn't want to do like it. My, I tried to do it. My mind, I, I just could not get my mind wrapped around the concept of code. And so he set out to build a pinball machine several years ago. And, um, for one reason or another, uh, he determined that he just might not, um, he, he might not have the ability to get to a final product of what he would be happy with. And so I, I don't want to put words in his mouth necessarily, but I think, I think part of him kind of gave up on the idea of, of, of having a custom pinball machine. But, but the great thing about it was he was always there to help other folks. So here about two years ago, we started getting, um, we started getting into the part where we're really starting to think about code and how we're going to do that. And, and I mean, he picked up that lion's share of the, the actual software um, and, and the coding and, and making things happen. And so Gavin and I have spent a, a major portion of the last couple of years uh, getting, getting the foundations for, for my game code in and, we're, we're not there yet. Um, you know, of the, of the 15 different song modes, you know, every single one of those, it's, it's actually the same mode. It's just repeated 15 different times. Uh, the goal is to get it to a point where I, now that the framework is in there and I, I can change what shots need to be hit and what lights light up. And, you know, it's, just, it's, it's, it's sort of that foundation um, or the framework of the code and, and putting it all together because, you have a mode and then you score points and the, and the, and the, and the mode, it not only scores points, it has these sounds and it's, it's the progression of getting in the mode and getting out of the mode in the software that is actually the difficult part. Once you're in the mode and you know, what, what lights light up and what, what, what targets score, what points that's fairly straightforward. Um, so, so, you know, I, I wouldn't really want to, quantify it but you know i think i'm probably have somewhere around 30 to 40 percent of the game code in at of at some sort and then there's a lot of the more complicated or more advanced things um and i can name a couple to give you ideas but they're not even touched yet uh so the center array the center modes um on the play field between the slingshots the whole idea is you complete a pattern so when you complete the uh the, the, the top three lights going across, you're going to get an award. And when you complete the middle three across, you're going to get an award. And when you complete a diagonal line, you're going to get an award. And that kind of comes from uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not is where I where I mm -hmm. got that. And for instance, some of those awards are things like uh, my favorite one, Splendid Spinners, basically a, a 10x on the on the spinner shot. Um, one of them is countless combos. So, so the game's going to count your combo shots. And then at some point it's just going to stop counting it because it is a multiplier. Well, if you can get your countless combos, it's going to allow you to run that, that combo multiplier up even further. Um, endless outlanes is one of my favorites where 
you can keep draining out of the out lane and it's never going to kill you. It's just going to put a, spit another ball in for the endless out lanes. That's cool. And then, and then the only extra ball in the game is by completing one of the, uh, one of the, one of the diagonal rows of modes, but my, that long way of saying none of that stuff has been touched yet. Um, but in the grand scheme of thing, it's pretty small when you're talking about getting all the code to show everything on the display, to play the sounds. When, 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 you, when you score a jackpot, in order to get the points and the sound that says jackpot and then the jackpot banner to come up, it's a, it's a significant amount of code. And that is no small task to, uh, to make that happen. So Gavin has spent a lot of nights up until one, two o'clock in the morning doing that code because that's how his brain thinks. And, um, uh, without, without talking uh, about it a whole lot, he and I have decided to team up and we are, we are on our second project. I, I, I want to hear more about that. Let's, let's put a, a, a quick pin on that. Um, so, so you, you've, you've named a number of people that you thanked. you clearly, you know, built up a, a team of folks through that, through that fast community and through your local community as well. Gavin obviously lent, lent a very giant hand. Um, so I have a, I have a design question for you. Um, you know, you went with, I think you said a 24 inch monitor, correct? Did I, did I hear that right? I think it's 23 and a half. 20, yeah. 23. Yeah. yeah um, it's smaller than the Jersey Jack 27. What, what was the reason that you went with a monitor rather than going with either a DMD or going with alphanumeric displays, given the, the types of machines that, you know, that, that warm your heart, let's say. Yeah. I'm going back to my saying, why do it when I can overdo it? <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> I, I love the way Jersey Jack displays all the different components of the game somewhat complicatedly onto the screen but yet when you break down each quadrant or section of the screen and you and and you and you once you understand how it's displaying your 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 advancement on that one particular task it's actually pretty simple and that's exactly what I wanted with Minecraft I wanted people to be able to walk up to it knowing nothing about the game, knowing nothing about the album, knowing nothing about the band, and just be able to methodically walk through the game with three balls, understand what they need to do, and understand how their how their progress currently meets with an end goal, and that have all of that easily displayed um, right in front of them, 23 and a half inches wide, and not on a LCD panel, or because I, I I despise the Stern LCD panel for how much information they put on it. And it's 2023. We are way past DMDs at this point. Fair enough. Totally, totally reasonable. So uh, you already started to tee up um, a, a, a little teaser. So what is next for you and for Minecraft? Yeah, I would say I've got another seven years of work left on it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm halfway there. Uh, the the good thing is I have a physical machine. Uh, the, er, er, one Saturday a month, uh, the league comes and plays. I've got, you know, there, there's, we've got a collection of about 20 games that we play on and, and mind crime is now squarely in, in that collection that people oh, get to play. It's one of the uh, league machines. That's awesome. It, it is. And, and it's, it's fun to see people realize that changes have been made or, or there's something new in the game. Um, it's also fun for me to realize that there's a bug in the game. And, and that may sound a little bit counterintuitive, but the more things that people bring to my attention, the more times I can capture a log. And, and, and Gavin, I can scratch our heads, you know, why is this happening? And uh, all that means is that I'm just getting a little bit closer to my final product. It's a great attitude. So um, what, uh, you know, 
what do you want to take away from having done mind, mind crime? Like, is it, has it just been a learning journey for you? Um, have you found that you really enjoy, you know, uh, pinball game design? Is there an aspect of it that you want to really double down on and, and get better at? Yeah, I'm a hobbyist. I don't, you know, so a lot of the folks, um, and good on them, you know, they, they got a lot of recognition. They, you know, go out and build a, a pinball machine and, they're able to, excuse me, they're able to make a life out of it. Um, you know, I, I won't necessarily single anybody out, but I mean, there's folks at Jersey Jack, there's folks in American pinball, folks that I know well that took the same journey and that's what they wanted to do. I, I, I don't want to start another career. I don't, I don't want to have to build pinball machines as a, as a job. I'm a hobbyist. Um, and that's kind of that's that's, that's kind of where I want to leave it. That being said, um, we have started on our second game, and I have a third game in extreme early development in my brain. Um, it's a game that I want to do. It's a game that the IP is perfect for pinball, and uh, it will be it will be one of those that makes people open their eyeballs a little bit because. It's gonna be um, it's gonna be a pinball like no other, and a lot of people are like you know a lot, a lot of folks are like well you know everything in pinball's pretty much been tried and I will promise you that that is not true. Um, nobody had nobody that I know have had color changing paint on a pinball machine until I did it, and that's not that doesn't mean that I'm smarter or that I'm more uh, that I have more ingenuity than anybody else. You just have to you just have to kind of think about what you want and just do it. And that's, that, that's perfect advice to, you know, for, for, for the listener, for somebody who's, you know, seven years behind you um, and just getting started right, right now, like that, that attitude of just, just go and do it, I think is, is a perfect summation. Um, Listen, Jamie, it's really been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, Your insights, the way that you told the stories, um, you know, everything that we covered, um, all the innovation you've done, all the learning you've done, and how you've, you know, how you've helped make the custom community, custom and homebrew community, that much better, both in the fast channel, but also in strictly customs. Um, I, I, I want you to know, like, on behalf of everybody in the community, not that I can speak on behalf of the community, but you, you've, you've, you've definitely helped out others, and so thank you for that. I appreciate that, and I think that I would, you know, I would want to kind of close in saying that, um, you know, uh, seven years ago. The only person I knew, I was talking to Mark, Mark and Sadie about his uh, nightmare before Christmas. And I would never have done this if I had not had that conversation. So while I might be a little bit short and say things um, just a little bit brash, like just, you know, just figure it out or just do it. What I really want folks to do is if you got a question, just 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 talk to me about it. There's there, there's there's there, there's no amount of time that I won't spend with somebody that that wants to learn or wants to kind of, you know, go out and do their own thing. And sometimes all it takes is a little bit of nudge or, Hey, how would you go about this? And you can just kind of push somebody in a direction and it, it's kind of what sets them on fire. Um, that's all it took for me. It's a lot easier to get into it now, seven years later than it was seven years ago, but it wasn't that much harder than if you really boil it down. Um, you know, at the end of the day, a pinball machine is a, piece of wood with some metal and some plastic on it and it's got it's got some kind of a you know semblance of a computer or a bank of relays if somebody's 
a madman building an EM in 2023 and beyond. But uh, yeah, I, I, I cannot thank the community enough. Um, the, the, the online, the Facebook community, the pinball uh, podcast community and the, uh, the, the fast group um, for the pinball makers. Uh, there, there is far more knowledge that I have taken and that I have retained than I have been able to give back. So I always look forward to that. Well, thank you very much, Jamie. Thank you. Thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks for listening. And I can't wait to see what you make. <laughs>